Uh, we just believe something happens when the people of God come. They lay down their egos. They lay down their own agenda. They lay down their own ministries. And they unite not under a good mission, not under a good vision, but under the name of Jesus Christ. And I think that's when people start encountering Him. And that's when we start seeing changes and shifts take place in an entire region. So check this out. God never needed the multitude to pray. Right? God didn't need a multitude. He didn't need thousands of people to pray. But even when a few would gather, Jesus says, I'm there. And if Jesus is there, how many of you know all of heaven is there? And if God is on your side, no matter what you're up against, you already have majority because He's with you. And I think that's what we're contending for and believing for. So last night was packed, even though it didn't seem packed because the sanctuary was a super, super duper mega church sanctuary. But it was packed, and this morning it's a little less packed, but I kind of like it because it's taking me back to our throwback days of, man, we're, we're, that's where it started. That's where we learned to pray. That's where we learned to persevere, was in that place. Because you know what? There was a time when if we got this many people at one of our monthly gatherings, we would have ended, we would have high five, we would have hugged each other, we're like, man, breakthrough is coming. And I, and I just like it because, once again, God doesn't need the multitude to pray. But if we come together to pray in His name, God will do multiple, multiplied effect of those prayers. So with that being said, turn with me this morning to John chapter 1, verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43. And you could just keep your finger there. And then later I'm going to jump to Luke chapter 19. So I'm just going to read from those two places this morning. So John chapter 1. Verse uh, 43. And then we're going to jump to Luke 19 right after. So John 1, Luke 19. Keep your fingers there. You know, keep your app open, whatever you need to do. But let's start in prayer. And then we'll jump into the Word. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this time. But I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who have uh, come a long way to come and to exceed and to encounter you in a fresh way. So this morning, open up our ears, open up our hearts, anoint this time so that you may do what you want in us. Thank you, Lord, that your presence is here. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you guys already feel the presence of God this morning, amen? I think we're just gonna go deeper and deeper throughout the day, but man, he's here. So John chapter one, Verse 43, I just want to read it quickly. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see. Turn to your neighbor and say, come and see. Said Philip. When, they, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen? My favorite passages in the Bible are passages like this one because it's confusing. I love weird passages because it makes me try to understand Jesus and God and the kingdom and supernatural things a little bit more because if you look at this passage, it's a little weird, right? right? Nathaniel, who I'm going to call Nate Dog, the rest of the sermon. Nate Dog, he's just doing his life. He's just chilling. And then his homeboy, Philip, comes and it's like, bro, I found the one we've been waiting for. Right, because they're, they're Israelites, they're, they study the, the, the Word of God, they've been waiting. Said, the one that Moses was talking about, we found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And at that, Nathanael's response is, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? I used to serve at a church in Queens, and they would always say that about me because I'm from New Jersey. Right? They would discredit me, you know, and everything like that. But it's kind of like this. Like, what good can come from Nazareth? And Philip's response is, yo, why don't you come and see for yourself? So at this point, Nate Dogg is already, already a little bit suspicious about this man named Jesus. Why? Because nothing good comes from Nazareth. Did you know that Nazareth was never ever mentioned in the Bible up until that point? There's no biblical uh, precedence for that city at all. Last night, Danny talked about Jericho and Caesarea Philippi, and there's all these significance, but Nazareth really had nothing except Jesus came from there. So when he hears this, he's doubtful, he's suspicious, he doesn't know what to expect. And when Jesus shows up, this is what he says. He says, Nathaniel, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Right? And, and this is what he says. Here comes, wait, let me rephrase that. When Jesus first sees him, he says, here comes an Israelite, a true Israelite without any deceit. And at that, Philip says, how do you know me? How do you know me? That tells me that Nathan ain't humble, right? He's like, yeah, I am without deceit. How did you know? And Jesus' response is, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now that's a weird statement, right? Someone's saying, hey, I saw you before he called you. Like, are you. Are you following me? Are you stalking me? Right? If someone I don't know well, that I'm already suspicious of, says, yo, I saw you at the food court getting food, I'd be like, yo, get away. But look at Nathaniel's response. He says, Rabbi, you truly are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Isn't that weird? Think about that for a moment. Jesus says, he knows him, he describes him perfectly. He says, how do you know me? I saw you under a fig tree, and at that response, he's all in. He's like, you really are the Son of God. You really are the Messiah. So the question is, why? What is it about being found under the fig tree made Philip realize that Jesus truly is all that he says he is? Well, in order for us to understand that, we've got to figure out the meaning and the significance of a fig tree. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of different symbolism of the fig tree. It represents covenant. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God use to cover them? The leaf of a fig tree. There's all these different things. But in specifically Nate Dogg's time, the fig tree is where, under the fig tree is where rabbis would have taught. It was a place of meditation. It was a place of prayer. So in other words, Jesus is basically saying this, I saw you when you were praying, right? In other words, I found you in the secret place because he was praying to God. He's praying for the Messiah to come. He's praying for the Son of God to be revealed and he's praying to God and God is saying, hey, when you are in the secret place by yourself, when no one else is around, guess who else was there? Me. I want you to get this. I think it's amazing that all of us here, we've come and we've set this time apart this weekend to come and to pray. Amen? Most of us are here because we've come to find God. We came here to receive something from the Lord. We came here to encounter Him, to find an answer, to find a breakthrough. But what if God brought you here because He wants to find you? Because I want you to know the place where God finds you is in the secret place. It's in the secret place where God finds you so that in that moment, Nathaniel realizes, you're the one I've been praying to all these years. The one that I've been seeking is you. I've been finding you. I've been searching for you. And here you are saying, you found me when I thought no one else was listening. Have you ever been in a situation where you're praying and praying, wanting a breakthrough? Maybe it's for health, maybe it's for finances, maybe it's for your family, and you're not seeing anything. God wants to encourage you this morning by saying, He's found you there. He brought you here this morning because He's finding you here in this very place. So when Nathaniel has this response, he's blown away. He says, Jesus, you truly are that. But check this out. Jesus gives him another greater answer. He says, you believe because you say, I found you under the fig tree. But guess what? In other words, you've seen nothing yet. All of you here, you've seen nothing yet. Amen? How many of you know that the best is yet to come? 
that the greater days are ahead. We could worry and say the world is getting darker, it's getting more sinful, oh my gosh, what's happening? I don't know what gender I am, right? Am I a male or female? Or maybe I'm both, right? Maybe we should edit this out from the YouTube, right? I don't want no hater comments. Right? But that's kind of the culture we live in, where we don't know what the answers are, and we're just trying to find some solutions or whatever. But Jesus is saying, greater things are yet to come. Because what is the offer that you'll see? You're going to see heaven opened up. Angels ascending and descending. In other words, you're going to be living in an open heaven. Right? That's what I want to see. And how do you get to see that? By being in the secret place. The question I want to propose to everyone this morning is, when God is looking for a man or a woman that He could use in this generation, will He find you in the secret place? Because I believe that's where God goes to search the ones that He wants to use more than anything else. When there's a purpose in the heart of God for a generation, He doesn't go to the elite schools, He doesn't go to the elite companies, He doesn't search through a talent pool, but He finds those who are praying in the secret place. That's what He's looking for. People, you don't have to have it all together, you don't have to be the talented or, or the most gifted or anything like that. You just have to be the one that He finds when He comes to the fig tree. The other day before we went to uh, started this conference, uh, Josh and I, we went to a different conference hosted by Randy Clark. All my heroes are there, Bill Johnson, uh, Todd White, AKA uh, Danny 2.0, right? Uh, uh, at least in muscles wise, that guy's Jack, right? And this is what Randy Clark said that, that still stuck with me even to this day is he goes and, and it's amazing the, the dreams that he saw God un, unfold in his life. He said up until 46 years after his dream of equipping the saints, that's when he started to see it come true. Before he went to Toronto and the outpouring happened and revival broke loose that has impacted all over the world, he said he never traveled outside of America. And yet after that moment, suddenly all the breakthrough happened. He said that he rarely preached in front of thousands, or, or he never preached in thousands before that. And, and he would rarely preach to a crowd of even 300. Even the night when Toronto happened, there was about 120 people there on a Wednesday night. And yet God just suddenly came and did his thing. And this is what he said, that after all these things were happening, people were encountering God like crazy. You know, people were getting baptized there, imparted there, Heidi Baker got impacted there, all these things. And he comes back home to a Lutheran church, and one of the leaders there tells him to his face, hey, that thing that happened in Toronto, it's not of God. And he says, why do you say that? And he says, it's because God chose you instead of me. And he says, hey, I don't mean to be rude, but let's be honest. I've heard you preach, you're not that good. I'm a better preacher than you. I know the Bible more than you. I've never heard you pray, but I bet I pray better than you too. So why did God choose you and not me? That's why I don't think it's of God, because you're the leader behind it. And Randy Clark's answer was this, God chose me because I was the better choice. And what he means by that is this, God says what he uses the foolish things to shame the wise, amen? He uses the weak things to shame the strong. So if that's the way that God does His kingdom work, because who does He call out of all of Jesse's sons? Not the firstborn, where even the prophet Samuel says, this must be the anointed of the Lord. But God speaks to the prophet and says, don't look at the exterior, because I look at the heart. He uses the weak things, the foolish things, and that's why Randy Clark was the better choice. I say all of this because God is not looking for the people who have the most theological knowledge, the most degrees, the most titles, but people who are foolish enough, weak enough to pray. Because can I be honest here? The sign of my strength isn't about how tall and strong I can stand, but how quickly I get to my knees. That's my strength. And God is looking for people who will actually pray. He's looking for people who will actually find Him in the secret place. So check this out. Jesus, once again, is saying the thing, I saw you praying. I saw you in the secret place. I found you when you were by yourself in that lonely place. I know you because I heard you pray. Isn't that amazing? God says, says to Nate Dog, I know you. I know you. The only thing greater than knowing God is being known by God. 
The only thing greater than knowing God is being known by God. Why? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Jesus says that in the end times, mad people will come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we, you know, raise the dead, heal the sick, do all these different miracles in your name? And Jesus says this, away from me, I never knew you. I believe if you know God, that could possibly lead you to doing great things for God. Right? But being known by God causes you to pray. Knowing God might cause you to go to the mission field. But being known by God will cause you to go to the secret place. That's the difference. You can know many things about God. Do even mighty exploits for His name because you know Him. But the question is, does He know you? Because He only finds you when you go to the secret place. So once again, the invitation that Nate Dogg is told is come and see. Jesus saw him. You're going to see an open head. That's what I want to see over this region. Amen? Amen. I want to see an open heaven over New York City. That's what I want to do. So secret place oftentimes is where we go because we're praying so that we could contend for an open heaven, right? We're seeking. We're asking. We're knocking. And sometimes we find the, the joy of an answered prayer. We find the joy of, 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 of our prayers being answered. But I want to propose to you the joy, because we talked about joy, the joy of being found by God in that place. Where He comes to us and says, I know you. Can I tell you what? That's the game changer. That's the X factor, is being found by Him. And as I said before, when God is looking for a man to use, a woman to use, a preacher, a wife, a husband to live with integrity, purity, honesty, to live for the things of this world, someone to go to their schools, their campuses, their workplaces, and shine the light of God, to be the salt of the earth, will He find you? Because I believe God is looking for those people. Or will He keep on searching? Will he keep on searching? He's looking for people to use in this generation because I believe that Jesus is returning soon. Amen? Right? Jesus is returning soon. And I know that word soon kind of has a baggage because Jesus himself said, I'm coming soon, and it's been like 2,000 years. You know? God's soon is so different than mine. But yet, I believe that we're in the generation, the final push to get ready for Jesus to come back. I just want to say this real quick about why we're so passionate about revival. We want to see the type of revival that leads to the last great awakening. And I say the last great awakening because that's the one that precedes Jesus coming back. That's what I'm believing for. I believe that's the time we're living in. And I believe God doesn't need a, a, a preacher as much as He's looking for someone who will pray. As someone who will yield to Him. One of the thoughts I had last night in worship is, man, what would it look like to have a region of people who are fully surrendered and yielded to God? Because can I be honest? I don't think I am, <laughs> you know? If, I, if you want me to be real, real about it, you could look at my sneaker closet and you'll be like, man, this man ain't surrendered, <laughs> right? Please pray for me, you know? All right? I'm trying to sell them so I could... Uh, I was going to say give to the missions, but that will be a lie. <laughs> so God, I'm just being really honest this morning. Right, but what would it look like if I was fully yielded and surrendered to God? That's what I'm looking for. Even the thought that I had last night, and I was going to save it for one of my other messages. I'm not telling you when that is, right? Because we're not telling when someone's preaching. But this is the thought I had. And I'm going to share it this morning. You know the story where Abraham goes before the Lord? And he's contending on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying, God, if there are 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? And he says, yeah, I will. And then he goes down to this and he says, even if there's only five righteous people in those cities, would you spare it? And God says, yes. But I want to reverse that. God, if there's five people in this region that are fully yielded and surrendered to you, would you bring revival? Right? So let's start. God, if there's 50 people that genuinely will give anything for revival, will you bring it to this region? What if there's 40? What if there's 10 down the line? What if there's only five people who genuinely want revival? Will you still bring it? 
And I believe God's answer is yes. And I believe part of the reason why we're trying to gather people to pray and catch this fire for revival is so that we can say, God, you can't pass over New York City. You can't pass over the cities and neighborhoods that we represent because we're the ones that want revival. We want to be that yielded, that surrendered. And I want to read that quote from Catherine Coleman again that I shared last night. But it's just all about yielding to Him. The Heavenly Father does not ask for golden vessels. He does not ask for silver vessels. God asks for yielded vessels. Those who will submit their will to the will of the Father. And the greatest human attainment in all the world is for a life to be so surrendered to Him that the name of God Almighty will be glorified through that life. I mean, what can God do with the man that's fully surrendered to God? What can God do with the woman that's completely yielded to Him? I believe God will make much of that person. God will make much of that person to be yielded and surrendered in that way. I want to be bold like that, amen? amen? One of the things that I want to just have a conviction for this weekend is I want to be bolder than I've ever been before. I want to have more faith than ever before. I want to look more foolish than ever before. And we're creating an atmosphere, a safe space where you can step into that here, amen? amen. Because I promise you, if you can't do it in an environment that we're calling a prayer conference to pray with everything you have, can I just be honest? You're not going to do it back home. You're not gonna do it in front of non-believers. But maybe if you catch that here, you can carry that out there. And I believe prayer and revival isn't something that's taught, but it's caught. Right? I, I forgot who, who, I think Danny shared it last night, where the disciples came to Jesus and asked him to teach them on prayer. But they asked to be taught because they, were, they, they saw their master pray, that passion was caught. Are you with me? And I mean, this weekend, we're trying to create an atmosphere where we have that to go to the secret place for ourselves. I want to be bold enough to say this this weekend, that God is looking for a person that's yielded to Him. Amen? God is looking for a person that will go to the secret place. But let's up the ante a little bit. God must have a person that will pray in the secret place. God must have a woman that's completely surrendered to Him. Now jump with me to Luke 19. And, and that will give a clearer picture of why it's a must in the heart of God. Luke 19 verse 1. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must, right? If you have a highlighter, a pencil, whatever, circle and highlight that word must. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save and to find the lost. Amen. So as I said, there's a must in the heart of God to find a man or a woman that will pray. There's a must in the heart of God to find a man or a woman that will be fully yielded to Him. But let's think about that word must for a moment. Like who talks like that, right? Like must is pretty extreme, right? I, I must breathe in order to live. I must eat in order to live. If I really got to go, I must use the bathroom, you know? But Jesus is saying, I must stay at your house. Like, what if you ain't invited, Jesus, you know? But Jesus is saying, I must stay at your house. I must be with you. 
And where did Jesus find Zacchaeus? Under another fig tree. I want you to know Jesus knows exactly where to go and to how to find you if you're in the secret place. So he says, I must stay at Zacchaeus' house. At that, that's when the, all the crowd is in an uproar. They're kind of offended, like, this guy's house? Right? In the first chapter we read together in John chapter 1, Jesus sees Nadab and says what? Here comes a true Israelite with whom there is no deceit. Like if he knows us, then he should have known that Zacchaeus is an Israelite that who has only nothing but deceit, right? There he's described as a chief tax collector. Do you know that the only time that phrase chief, chief tax collector is used is when it's describing Zacchaeus? Right? That means Luke hated him or something, right? Because that's the only time it's ever used. It's to describe this man named Zacchaeus. But God doesn't care about your pedigree. He doesn't care about your background. He doesn't even care about your performance. Because the one that He comes to find are those who have hunger. Are the ones who have hunger. Because guess what? He found Nathaniel who has no deceit. But He also found Zacchaeus who has nothing but deceit. So what is He really looking for then? Hunger. Because what would cause a man to climb a tree, not to get a conversation with Jesus, not for Jesus to even lay hands on him, but all he wanted was just a glimpse. I don't know about you, but I call that hunger. I call that desperation. Because here's what you need to know. God is calling you based on hunger. Because if you're truly hungry, you'll do anything. You'll pay any price. You'll even climb a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, I'll say this about myself. The moment I went to pray in the secret place more than any other times was when I was desperate. It was when I was in pain, when I was in need. That's what drove me to the secret place more than anything else. And I'm not saying pain is of God, amen? Loss isn't of God. But somehow God is using desperation to stir up hunger beyond our circumstances. And I believe that's my prayer for every single person that comes to this conference, is that you'll catch prayer, get a hunger for prayer, not because you only find God there, but because He finds you, and you'll carry that long after the conference is over. In other words, can't stop, won't stop. Right? Can't stop, won't stop, because I've experienced the hunger to go beyond an event. People who are actually hungry don't talk about prayer, they pray. Because if I went to any Christian today and I asked them, hey, do you think prayer is important? They'll say, yes, brother. Right? If they're really religious, religious they'll be, thou our prayer is the best for my soul. Right? Because that's what religious people do. Every single Christian will say prayer is important. Prayer is, is good. The Lord's prayer. You know, they'll do all these different things. But only when you're truly hungry will you really pray. I've heard it said this way, that many Christians are educated beyond their level of obedience. I think Danny said it last night that we have more theology that can last us a lifetime. We don't need more theologians. We need secret place Christians. We need devotion-driven Christians. So desperation, I'm not saying that it's always of God, but because God is a redemptive God, He will always use it for our benefit. Right? Consider it a gift when all you have is God. Corey Tenboom, who's a survivor of the Holocaust, and she's this amazing woman of God that she was brought to the concentration camps because she was trying, as a Christian woman, she had a conviction to try to protect and to hide and to save the Jews. And yet when they found out, they threw her in jail along with her mother and sister, and she actually saw her own sister and mother killed right before her eyes. And her testimony is this, that as she's released, she's going to different places and giving sermons and testimonies. And the power of God is literally thrown through this woman. That, that, check out this testimony. The, 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 the officer that killed her sister, he, she went up to him and forgave him on the spot. And he went and received the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Corey Temple. And this is what she says. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. That same lady says this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel? In other words, is that what's guiding your entire life? Or is that your spare tire that you go to when you're in an emergency? 
when you have no, nothing else to do. And I believe God wants to raise up a people that live in that place. What you learn in desperation is meant to be sustained as a lifestyle. Right? What you learn in desperation when you're broken, when you're in pain and you're praying, God wants to teach you so that that's sustained as a lifestyle. So check this out. Breaking that leads to breakthrough. Because I think that's what happens. In my own life, I believe that I saw a next level of miracles and just God doing amazing testimonies out in the streets, out in the church, at retreats I go to, and all these different things. After God broke me, I don't know what even the adjective is, right? Like I couldn't even think of one. A.W. Tozer says this, God doesn't use anyone until he has wounded them deeply. And once again, I'm not saying God does the wounding, but when you learn to trust God in pain, God can trust you with blessing. And breaking that leads to breakthrough. That sustained leads to an outbreak. Are you with me? Breaking that leads to a breakthrough. That sustained leads to an outbreak. So check this out. One of the pastors that I'm looking forward to, and he's here in New York City. I will go listen to him if it wasn't for this conference, right? I heard he wants to come listen to me, but he doesn't know me, right? So he doesn't know it himself yet. But Bill Johnson says this, that his church has received words and words and prophetic words and promises that they were going to steward healing to the nations. That God was going to use him and his church and his ministry to bring healing to everywhere. People are going to get healed of cancer and all these different things. And Bill Johnson says for years and years, they believed, they prayed, they fasted, they did all these different things. And yet they didn't see an ounce of that promise coming true. And they were getting frustrated until one of the men, men of God came and gave the word that God is not keeping this promise from you. He's keeping it for you. So that after the breakthrough comes, you have learned to have a lifestyle to steward it forever. What we learn in desperation in the secret place, God wants to sustain it as a lifestyle so that we can constantly live under what? An open heaven. Under an open heaven. So when we learn to pray in that place, God wants to do something beyond just that moment. Leonard Ravenhill says this, The self-sufficient does not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. I'm going to say it one more time. The self-sufficient does not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. Mic drop, good evening, see you later, right? Like, because why? God is calling based on your hunger. The satisfied don't pray, the strong don't pray, the ones who have it all together and have an experience of God, have an, you know, all this theology of God, don't pray. But it's hunger that causes us to pray. Nathaniel had that hunger. Zacchaeus had that hunger. So they caught a fig tree and Jesus knew how to find it. So the only thing that mattered, why Jesus found Zacchaeus wasn't, once again, his lifestyle or how he lived or anything else, but was that he was in a tree. So if you look in the passage of what Jesus is even saying and how Luke 19 begins, it simply says this, that Jesus was passing through. He has no real intention to go that way except he has a date with destiny with Zacchaeus. Can it be said this, that Jesus will even go out of his way to find you if you're in the secret place? He had no reason to go there except he just wanted to find that man, Zacchaeus. He intentionally chose that route, that time, that place, and he knew that's where he'll find Zacchaeus. So in other words, it kind of looks like coincidence, right? But it's funny how many coincidences happen when you pray. It's funny how many coincidences happen when you start to pray. And I believe this, and, and don't necessarily quote me on this because I'm still figuring it out. But I believe that coincidences is the language of heaven. Right? The coincidences are language, is the language of heaven. And as you pray, more coincidences start to happen. My favorite is the one that's found in the book of Esther. 
Right? Is there anyone named Esther here? Right? You're here for a purpose. I genuinely mean that, right? I'm not just saying that because I'm quoting Esther. Like, I really believe that there's an Esther in the house that God is going to use. So in the book of Esther, Esther, she's you know, one of the many wives of the king. And she's in this place where she's in a role of authority and she has influence. And she can make a difference, but she's afraid. So her cousin Mordecai comes and says that whole thing like, yeah, hey, whether you speak up or not, don't think you're going to escape from this, all this blah, 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 blah. I think you guys know it. And it ends with that powerful phrase, for such a time as this. Right? How do you guys know that verse? You might not know the story, but you know the verse, for such a time as this. That's what Mordecai says, that maybe you've been raised up for such a time as this. And at that, she's cut to the heart, just like you are right now, by the sermon, glory to God, right? And after she hears that sermon, she, she reaches back to her people, the Jews, and says, Hey, I'm cut to the heart. Y'all need to pray and to fast for me, because I'm going to rise up. And as they started to pray and fast for her, all of a sudden, the next chapter, the king sees her from a distance, like, oh my gosh, she's so pretty. Man, my girl, man, she got it going on, right? So he even comes up to say, girl, anything you want, even up to half my kingdom is yours. And she's like, oh, it's funny you asked me that. Because I do have a special request that I'm going to ask you tomorrow. She's like, tomorrow it is. You can have whatever you want. So check this out. Coincidence. As soon as she said yes, and people started praying, the king saw her and offered her that. Here's another coincidence. The chapter right after that, it says this. King Xerxes, for whatever reason, couldn't fall asleep that night. But he couldn't fall asleep. He doesn't know what to do. And because he's a king, I guess he's self-absorbed. He's like, hey, read me my journal about what my kingdom has been like. He's like, yes, king. They're reading it. They have to stay up too, you know, because the king couldn't sleep. They're tired, but the king isn't. You have no choice. They just start reading his a journal. And one of the journal entries is this. Not too long ago, there was an assassination attempt against your life, but this man named Mordecai prevented it and saved you. At that, the king says, was Mordecai ever rewarded for what he did for me? And they said, no. He's like, we're going to get this man. The following day, what does Esther ask for? For Mordecai to be honored. Are you seeing the coincidences that are happening one after another? And when did it start? When people started to pray. It's funny how many coincidences happen, right, in quotes, when people start to pray. Can I propose this? What looks like coincidence is actually providence because we serve a sovereign God who listens to the answers of His people. That's good. That's not even in my notes. Glory to God, right? So will, will Jesus know where to go and how to find you? And the answer is, are you in the secret place? So check this out. Once again, back to the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is in the fig, uh, sycamore fig tree. He climbed up to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus simply goes there. He knows exactly where to go. Looks up. Hey, I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus comes down at once and he invites him over. And look at Zacchaeus' response. He says, hey, Jesus. I'll give up even up to half of all my possessions. And if there's anyone I cheated out of, I'm going to repay them four times. Now, if you notice, Jesus doesn't say anything except, I must stay at your house. But yet, Zacchaeus responds in this radical way. Why? Because God found him. Contrast that to what happens a chapter earlier where the young rich ruler comes and finds Jesus. So I want you to get this. The rich young ruler finds Jesus. And he says, good teacher. And Jesus, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, who's God himself. So in other words, you're saying, I'm God, which is right. And the, and the young rich ruler says, what must I do? You see the must? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, follow all the laws, all the different things. He says, I've been doing that all my life. And Jesus says this, then sell everything and follow me. And at that, the young rich ruler walks away sad. And the disciples' response is, their mind is blown. Right? If they had iPhones, they're sending each other the mind-blown emoji. Like, what is going on? Mind-blown, mind-blown, mind-blown. Because they're like, Jesus, what's, what? 
And Jesus says it's, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to be saved. Right? More mind-blown emojis. Because they're like, then who can be saved? And Jesus says this, what's impossible for man is possible for God. And yet, one chapter later, another rich man, Zacchaeus, gives up not everything but half, repays four times. I want you to get this. That's the difference between us finding Jesus and Jesus finding us. Because we come to Jesus for an agenda. But when Jesus finds us, we're willing to do whatever He wants us to do. Jesus doesn't preach at Him. He doesn't tell Him what to do. But yet, out of that encounter of being found, He's willing to give it all. That's the difference I need you to get this morning. Rich young ruler finds Jesus, walks away. And immediately right after, God does the impossible because a rich man gets saved. I believe, why does that happen? Because I bet the disciples were praying, they're like, God, no one's going to be saved. Will you save somebody? And we definitely know Jesus was praying from chapter 18 to 19. Amen? And because of that, God does the impossible and Zacchaeus turns to the Lord. He's willing and he's found. I want to ask the worship team to come and we're going to wrap this up this morning. So in that passage alone, the, the contrast of those two chapters, we see the difference of finding Jesus and Jesus finding us. The difference between receiving grace and responding to grace. And I believe at this conference, Jesus is wanting to do the same in our lives. Amen? Amen. I believe you're here once again because God has chosen to find you. He must have you. He must find you. And He's here because He must stay with you. You're here because ultimately He saw you under the fig tree. He saw you climbing the sycamore fig tree, whatever it is, and He found you and He drew you here because He wants to come and be with you. This is what I know about my own life. That He knows how to find us. Amen. One of the psalmists says, where can I go? I could be in the heavens, I could be in the pits, but yet wherever I go, you're there. So God knows how to find me when I'm wandering. God knows how to find me when I'm lost. He knows, me how, he knows how to find me when I'm in a pit. But I want to be found praying. That's how I want to be found. Because He found me when my life was a wreck. He found me when I was dead in my sins and I wanted nothing to do with it. He found me all those times. But moving forward, I want to be one He finds in the secret place. God, you don't have to go looking far. You don't have to go searching high and low, looking all over the place because God, you know exactly where to find me. So I'm going to be in the secret place. I want to be in a place where no one even knows about. Right, one of the words that, that you know, our team, you know, leading up to this conference, I want you to know we've been praying for you. Amen. We've been praying for you. If I'm honest, there are times I didn't want to pray for you, but I'm like, man, this is my conference. I gotta if I ain't praying for them, no one's praying for these people, you know? I remember one, conf uh, one prayer meeting with all the volunteers. Um, the, the, the team wanted to honor me. And they're just prophesying over me. And I think it's a word that Lisa gave me. And, and we did this prayer meeting called Seek at Six. And it should be called Only One Seeks. Because most of the time I'm the only one there, you know. Right? Like, it should be like Seek by Yourself, right? But it's called Seek at Six because we do it at six. And that prayer meeting was birthed out of desperation. Because I'm going to be real, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to share the next time I preach, whatever that is, right? Follow us on social media, maybe you'll know, right? Is I received tons of prophetic words about this ministry. And I, if I'm honest, that's why we've even survived and thrived. I'm not sure if we're thriving unless I have real faith, right? That's why we even made it to five years. It's based on prophetic words and promises. Where if I'm honest, there's so many moments I wanted to quit. So many moments of like, do I even believe in revival myself? Like, do I even want to do this thing? And yet I received this amazing prophetic word from this prophet. I might show it the next time I preach. I'm not sure yet. And this is what he said to me. He said, 
there's an, a, 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 a gathering anointing on your life. When I got that, I was confused. Because we've been doing gatherings, but no one's coming. Right? Like, you know, so after that, we got that word. I'm like, so puffing. I'm like, I'm not a gathering anointing, y'all. I'm going to gather the nations, buddy. Yo, what's going on, right? And we'll do our next monthly gathering. Ten people showed up. And I'm like, this isn't a gathering, and this definitely ain't no anointing. But yet, I know, and, and in that moment, I was struggling, because I'm like, God, you're perfect. You're not a liar. That prophet might be a liar, but you're not a liar. And if that guy lied to me, that's, that's your fault, God, right? Like, sometimes I hold God responsible for his children. I don't know if that's right, but I do, you know? That, if that prophet lied to me, God, that's on you, right? And that, I would tell him that. And yet, I was like... God, you're perfect. Your words are true. You said I have a gathering anointing, but man, this is the worst anointing ever. And in that place, the desperation between his word, his promise, and what I was seeing drove me to pray. It drove me to pray. And and out of Exodus 33, right, Moses comes to the Lord and and the gods are fed up. He's like, Moses, man, these Israelites, they're whack. I'm going to kill them. And let's start fresh, you and me. Right? And God's like, you know what? I can't go with you. You did this on your own. And Moses says, it's God. You told me to lead these people. But how can you do that? How could I do that? And he asked for three things. God, you told me to lead these people. But you haven't shown me who to do it with. And that was the first prayer. God, you said there's a gathering. They ain't no people. Who are you going to send? The second thing that Moses says to the God is, God, you say you know me by name and that I found favor in your eyes, then teach me your ways. That was the second. God, then teach us your ways. And the third thing that he prayed, the most important thing is, God, show me your glory. We don't want to go to the promise without your presence. And out of that passage was birthed this prayer meeting, seek at six. God, you said there's a gathering on you. You said you're going to bring revival. You said that you're going to use us. But man, I don't know if I'm being used by God or used by man. Like, I don't know what's happening. But God, show me who you're going to send. God, teach me your ways. And above all, show me your glory. And and I just started praying in that place. And sometimes it'll be a couple, but most times I'll be by myself. And I'm just praying for revival because I know what God said. I know what reality looks like. And there's this huge gap. And yet that gap isn't going to be closed by my efforts. It's not going to be closed by my strategy. It's not going to be closed by my vision. The only thing that closed the gap is God himself. And when does God come? When we pray. So I started praying and seeking. And you know what? There are times when I felt like, man, it makes no difference. But I ain't, no, I ain't no quitter. So I'm going to show up every week. I talked to someone on the phone not too long ago. I'll leave his name out. And then I was like, yeah, we did this prayer. He said, bro, you still do that prayer meeting? I'm like, yeah, where are you at? You know? Right? And, and, and the word that Lisa gave you is this, that Pastor Sam, when you were by yourself, God saw you. Can I be honest? I mean, the reason why we're able to even do this conference today it's because God saw me in that place. Now, I'm not saying this to credit myself. Like, I'm this crazy, prophetic, anointed. I'm really not. Like, as I said, my strength isn't in about how tall I stand, but how quickly I fall to my knees. And in that gap between what he said and what I'm seeing, the only thing I knew what to do was to pray. And can I be honest? I believe that this is God honoring that prayer. It doesn't look like much, but it's so much greater than where we were. That gap was closed in prayer. And I believe that as we move forward, the prayers we pray this weekend are going to be significant. Amen. So I want you to keep a record of everything that you pray and declare. Ask for the wildest things. I remember one time, like, I genuinely believe in 30 second prayers. Was it 30 second or 10 second? I believe in 10 second prayers. One time, this missionary friend of mine, he texted me, he says, What would you do if God gave you $10,000? I'm like, um, pay for all the debt from the apparel, right? Like, I don't know, you know? I'm just being real, right? And then he says, what would you do if God gave you $10,000? I'm like, uh, you know when you're like texting, but like you're not done, so it's just a bubble, that was me? And then as soon as before I can even send it, he says, pray, pray a 10 second prayer right now. Ask God for it. And I kid you not, I prayed a 10 second prayer 
literally like a minute later, I had someone donate a thousand dollars to pursue. Now it wasn't the missionary, because then that would be like manipulation, I think, right? It was someone that wasn't related at all. And after that moment, I believe in 10 second prayers, right? So I want you to be bold this weekend. Pray those 10 second prayers. Go to the prayer room, write something on the wall and expect God to do exceedingly more than you can ask or imagine this weekend, amen? Because he knows how to find you in the secret place. The prayers that you feel are insignificant, man, he knows how to find you there. And I want to encourage you with that. And I'm closing with this. Jesus knew where to find Nathaniel under a fig tree. He knew where to find Zacchaeus climbing a sycamore fig tree. In the same chapter as Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he also knew where to find a donkey that he needed to ride into Jerusalem. Jesus knows exactly where to go and what to find. I mean, check this out, right? One time, the, 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 the teachers of the law comes and says, should we give to Caesar or to God? And Peter's like, yo, go fishing. They catch a fish, and there's a coin in that fish's mouth. How many of you guys know that story? Jesus knows how to find money, too. I'm a prayer, 10 seconds for right now, right? Right? So he knows where to find the donkey. And he rides that donkey to Jerusalem, where he's hailed as king. If you look in, in the Bible, like the subheading is, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as king, or something along that way. But look what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for the fastest horse. The, the strongest horse, the best looking horse. He's just looking for a lowly donkey to ride into glory. In the same way, if there's a need that God has, I want to be the one he finds. I want to be the one that he knows where to go to. God, you need someone to stand in purity for you? I'm your man. God, you need someone to live in integrity? I'm your woman. God, you need someone to be the salt and light in their workplace, their home, or whatever. God, you don't have to look any further than this conference right now. Because the people you're looking for, the people you want to use, we're right here. We're right here. I want my life to reflect that. So, so check this out. Jesus finds Nathaniel, once again, under a fig tree. Sitting under a fig tree. He finds Zacchaeus climbing a sycamore fig tree and then he finds a donkey so that he could go be hanging on a cursed tree. And why does Jesus do that? He tells us in the same passage with Zacchaeus because he has come to seek and to find those who are lost. Whether you've been praying or not, I want you to know that Jesus went on a tree to find you. So this conference, every single one of you, you're marked to be found this weekend. You're marked to be found this weekend. Whether you climb, whether you sit, Jesus went on a tree to find you for his glory. So Father God, I thank you this morning.